Peter Rowland, and welcome to this episode of the CubeCast. I'm Chester, Vice President of Operations here at Cube. And I'm Shaw Katsia, the CTO. I am Weldon Stogsdill, the Chief Collaboration Officer. Guys, it is awesome to see you all again, and we're not going to see Chester for a little bit, because as we launch this CubeCast... Chester's about to get launched off of a carrier, dude. <laughs> dude, I am so stoked. This is one of those things where it's the power of the ask, and be careful what you ask for because the answer <laughs> might be yes. <laughs> Something I've been working on for about 10 years to uh, experience what life is like on the deck of an aircraft carrier. So I get to spend almost a week in the Pacific on a carrier, that and it's awesome. going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, I got to watch the 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 audacious moment that created this opportunity, the meeting in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. But watching you further that, it was a bit of an audacious ask, and I keep using that word because it's kind of the topic of this this episode. It really is audacious, intrepid. You know, these are the kind of concepts that we want to talk about today. Well, let me maybe sketch the backstory here, right? Because, I mean, a lot of our customers, their business is connecting with audiences, figuring out how to engage audiences, and often, you know, doing this through through audio. And so what we wanted to do is kick off a series of episodes, right, where we talk about how you can make connections and particularly for how you can uh, leverage audio. And so in this episode, we wanted to pick an interesting approach. And it's this whole idea of being audacious, uh, you know, using audacity as a, you know, as a strategy or, or a tactic. And, and by that, I don't mean rude, right? I mean, audacious as being in, in, intrepid. And so we, we want to okay, kind sure, of I'll yeah. break down intrepid for those of us who may have attended public school. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about being bold and, you know, taking intelligent risks, smart risks. And so, I mean, audacious, I mean, to some people has other connotations, right? But it's that aspect that we're focusing in on. And I think we want to look at three things. We, we want to look at the business and cultural thinking behind why it makes sense to think this way. And I think we want to talk a little bit about how we try and apply those ideas inside of Cube and our own product development. And then also we want to look at how our customers and marketers can apply these kinds of ideas in, in their own businesses, right? Yeah, it's really about a tactic for for standing out, for differentiating, connecting with your customers and and trying to think about challenges in new and different ways. And this is can be applied in in a couple of different ways, but things like invert the action used to solve the problems. We've seen this in a, a moving sidewalk at an airport where the people are fixed, the sidewalk moves. Or to turn an object or a process upside down or inside out. How do we take the normal thing that somebody else is doing? How can we do it the inside out way or the upside down way? Uh, and so that's been a big shaper or influencer of, of how I think. And sometimes that's a simple fix. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it can be audacious or intrepid or just a different way of thinking about things. For us, I know we had a, a recent experience of a customer who called in and said they had shipped a cube to a different country and then realized that they didn't send the correct power supply for that country. Oh no, that's that's going to hurt. 
<laughs> so they said, you know, what can we do? Does it come, first of all, does it come with all the country's power supplies? And the, while they're available, when you order a cube, they're not all in the box. So you have to order it with whatever country it's going to. So the immediate reaction is we need to order a new power supply and send it along to the customer, which is fine. It's a fine solution. There's other ways to think about it as well. Um, the Cube uses a standard power supply, and so this is something that's generally available. This is something that your customer may have on the shelf somewhere with a micro USB connector, and so you can think about it that way. I mean, like um, every cell phone charger ever <laughs> outside of Apple? Of, yeah, lots and lots. And so the other way to think about it is, well, maybe you want to order a power adapter, like a travel adapter, from somewhere like Amazon International, Alibaba, AliExpress, someplace that is set up already to, to easily ship to you know multitude of countries. So us, along with just sending a new power supply, so there's three ways to think about solving this problem right there. So sometimes it's turning the problem upside down, inside out, thinking about it a different way. Same thing with call center options. So people... You know, best practices we're talking about in terms of creating audio that engages your caller. And you, when you're designing a call center flow, you don't have to design it to sound like a call center. Like, there's no rule that says that. <laughs> it doesn't have to. And another thing is, it doesn't have to say, please. Your call is always important to us. <laughs> your call's always important. Or, or please listen carefully to these options because they've changed. Like, nobody is memorizing your options. Nobody's, that's not, that's not happening. You don't so, have the options for every phone company, every school, every not tire memorized, shop memorized. Not in my head. You're a horrible human being. <laughs> I have to actually listen to them when I call them. And, and it's fine. A way to think about that inside out or, or turn it around is maybe you need, want a live person to answer the, the call. And then for whatever routing they need, it's best served to put them into an IVR or an automated attendant after the live person answers. Well, that's an upside-down, inside-out way of thinking about it. It's a little bit audacious, but companies have seen good results with that kind of thing. So hmm. these are just ways that we try to think about things in an audacious, intrepid, inside-out way. When we were talking about this topic, one of the things that came to me is when you're going to be you know, bold, you know, to use that word and not using intrepid and audacious yeah. over and over and over. But when you're trying to really make that mark, one of the things that stood out to me is you've got to understand what success looks like before you can choose what that is. I mean, you can make bold moves and mm. you know, pull into the fire hydrant, you know, um, <laughs> that, that's not always the best option. So what does success look like? And for Having me, driven, I started thinking of Having driven with you, Weldon, I can attest to that. <laughs> well, that was actually a true-to-life story. I have driven into a fire hydrant before. <laughs> it's not a lie. <laughs> it, a contrary to popular belief, they don't knock off their pedestal and water shoot you up into the sky. That did not occur. That would be cool, though. <laughs> that would have been epic. That would have been a success. <laughs> um, but to watch... We got to tell that story of me driving with you in London at some point. That's got to be <laughs> so. In your defense, it was a different country, right? It, it was, was a different, different country. country. Other side driving of the a road. standard, <laughs> driving a standard stick shift, left-handed on the right side of the vehicle, and we were late for a very important meeting. So, just some context to that. Um, no, but what does success look like? My past, when I sold to the federal government and the large enterprises, 
the end of quarter was a big deal. You know, like end mm-hmm. of the third quarter for the FedGov or end of the year for commercial businesses. And when we'd been working on a deal for months and months and months, and this may be like a three-year, half-a-million-dollar deal. It was a big thing for us. And to have management coming down going, guys, we need this in before the end of the quarter. And the customer wasn't ready to buy. Their budget wasn't in place. That just wasn't top of mind for them. Their, their expiration of their previous you know, supplier was not expired yet. There just wasn't a reason for them to pull the trigger for our artificial deadline. And we would drop the discount. I mean, 30, 40. I saw 75% discounts before just to get that number in because we had to get hit a certain quota. Let's say your quota was a million dollars and you needed that $50,000 to come in, even though that deal might've been worth 85 to you. And the customer was willing to pay that 85. That already been previously agreed upon. That's, that was not a success to me. Mm. I, mm. I rebelled against that whole concept because it trained our customers to go, hey, these idiots will discount at the end of a quarter and the end of a year way more right. than they will any other time of the year. So we'll just hold off. Well, that perpetuated this thing of everybody doing all their business at the end of the year. We missed out on family events, New Year's Eve parties, being with our family around the end of the year, holiday. That, when everybody else is done, we were in there. The opposite thought, of success. <laughs> it was the opposite of success. And everybody For else, you, you know, yeah. Well, and the other thing, when other people were not as well prepared in our team, they were like, they had not laid the groundwork for those relationships. And now they're trying to scramble to meet these people who are off with their families. Right. Mm-hmm. And good luck. And so when you are delivering managers jumping up and down on you, like a pogo stick guys, there's better ways to do things. And here at mm-hmm. cube, it's audacious to say, I don't care if it comes mm-hmm. in December 31st, March 3rd. Don't really care when the client has the right need, has the right budget. Ha- the audacious thing is to be slower. Mm. It's better for the customer. Mm. It's better for me. I think in, in many businesses, you know, we have uh, kind of entrenched ways of doing things, right? And for me, being audacious is kind of regularly re-looking at every underlying assumption or, or way that we're doing things and, and asking if that is actually still the right way or does that still make, make sense? Because the, the world is changing the whole time, right? And so mm-hmm. it's really easy, I think, for all of us to fall into this trap of, you know, we, we do things the way they're always done because that's what people expect, but we don't right. relook or reconsider if those things are, are, are still valid. One thing that really brought that home for me was when Apple started opening their uh, retail stores. And I, you know, walked into it and it was this radical reimagination of what the retail experience was like, right? And suddenly the process of checking out and paying, you didn't have cash registers or or lineups anymore. And to me, that was really, really uh, exciting. It was innovative, right? And, And it was a real differentiator. I look at that and I go, some people might find that quite off putting because it's different. But if you think about it, that's not a bad thing because the people to whom that appeals, they are probably way more correlated with what Apple's ideal customer profile is, mm. right? So mm. so Apple there is appealing to the people that it makes sense for them to do, to do business with. No kidding. And Apple's a great example of somebody who paid attention to details. I, I enjoyed un, you know taking things out of the package. That was something I really loved. They put right. so much attention to detail to that, that the simple thing, oh, here's the tab, pull, and that's just so pleasing to pull that all the way off. 
<laughs> and it was awesome. They suckered me in. Now they've got all my money. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you want to be audacious, then you must have a culture that is willing to be bold and where you're willing to try out things, where you're willing to experiment so that you can discover what works and what doesn't work. And that kind of, I think, means that you must accept that things won't always work out the way. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you want to discover things, you must be willing to discover things that don't work, right? Right. So, yeah, how do you deal with failure in that being bold? Well, if you look at it through the U.S., lens in, in sports. For years and years and years, the NFL had this concept. You had four downs to get a first down. And on the third down, you, instead of taking that risk on the fourth, you just punt the ball further away and make the other team play the loser's game of seeing how far they can get. And you tried to win almost like attrition, but like a, they, they called it field position to try to keep moving the other guy back. Recently, as young coaches have come into the league and needing to make their mark and using analytics and math instead of intuition and gut, they started really challenging that thought of why do we punt the ball? Possessions mm. are important. And they started going for it and failing, mm. but succeeding a lot more because the goal is scoring, not field position. Like we want to get as close as we can get and score as often as we can. And every one of those times we hold the ball is important. And it's not something you just throw away to give to somebody else. And so you look at it through the lens of attention to detail and seeing what things are actually valuable in your business. These mm. young guys have pushed a lot of the older coaches out as 30-year-olds and 32-year-olds. And these young offensive minds are coming up going, man, we grew up playing Madden and just going for it on fourth down. It worked a lot of the times. So let's try yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's actually a vital thing, right? If your business culture is to be willing to go for it, then I think you must not punish people who are willing to experiment and then don't get the results. Um, I think in many companies, I mean, marketing people, creative people are, I believe, wired, just wired in a way that they're able uh, to do this. You know, I, if I think of artists and musicians and so on, right, the, the memorable people are the ones that are bold enough uh, to put themselves out there and uh, to try things. And and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. I was in a, a symphony performance here with Lars and John, and, and she's a, a quite a well-known Canadian violinist, and she was performing the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, which is, I mean, a very, very well-known piece. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you're familiar with the idea of, of, of concertos, there's um, this idea of a, of a cadenza, which is basically the whole... Uh, orchestra goes quiet and it's just the soloist chance basically to show their virtuosity on the instrument and so they you know they're playing all these incredibly high notes and so i mean if you know if you know the violin right it's like the higher you play there's just so much that can go wrong you know you can overshoot and and it's i mean things can really go horribly wrong and so here's Lars and john and she's just putting herself out there with this credenza and then suddenly she starts throwing this fiddle tunes in the, the <laughs> middle of it, you know, like like Irish washerwoman style. And I mean, it was remarkable. And and so I know some people in the audience were sitting there going, oh, you know, we prefer our Tchaikovsky to be pure. But, you know, here we are years <laughs> after this, and we are still talking about this performance, right? Because... 
she put herself out there, you know, knowing that some people will not like it, knowing that things could go horribly wrong. But that's how you achieve the great performances, right? Things can go horribly wrong, but you also have that payoff when you're bold. I was reading something the other day about a basketball player, 9,000 missed shots in his career, lost 300 games. He says 26 times he's been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. He's failed over and over and over. He says, that's why I succeed. That's Michael Jordan. Mm. So he's audacious, you know, in taking those chances, and yet it brings success. Mm. I saw something the other day. In the history of the NBA, the guy who has averaged the most points, the scoring leader in a given year, has won the national championship or the, the, the NBA championship eight times. You would think uh, you know, every single year, surely it's going to be kind of cl- a chance. Only mm-hmm. eight times. Wilt Chamberlain did it once. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it once. Mm. Michael Jordan did it six times. Wow. Mm. Wow. <laughs> In the history mm. of the NBA, <laughs> he kind of owned it. So, like, yeah. yo, I'm going to take a lot of shots. I'm going to score a lot. I'm going to miss a lot. And I'm just going to win a lot of championships in the process. Yeah. <laughs> so in those times of being intrepid, of being bold, uh, of being audacious, don't be afraid to fail. Man, I saw that happen in the business world. In my business past, I worked for a company called Trend Micro, and it was a cybersecurity company. And the way we used to work before it was taking, you know, taking around a disk to everybody's computer, you know, we had these things called pattern files. So when somebody wrote a virus, some uh, hacker was writing a virus to shut people down or whatever, and that, it used to be something as benign as we're just going to make it where you can't work. It wasn't stealing information. It hadn't gotten very complex at that point yet. We would race the other companies to be the first one to get the pattern file out. Hey, with Trend Micro, you can trust us. We're the first ones to have a have a, mm-hmm. a, a pattern file for this so that your computer mm-hmm. can't be infected by this virus. And that's what we would do. And it was always the thing. Look how fast we are. Well, with speed and that level of boldness um, came risk. And one one year the pattern files were getting bigger and bigger because you couldn't take pattern files out because those viruses were still out in the wild infecting things. And so they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, we put out a pattern file over the weekend that was not properly QA'd and we shut down the trains, the Metro of Tokyo at rush hour. (laughs) Oh, Mm. wow. You don't Mm. do that. If anybody has ever been to Japan or knows anything (laughs) about Japan, there is a cram-packed city that uses public transportation predominantly, and we shut it down. And so we had to have our CEO, our CMO, CFO, ever all our leadership went to the Nikkei and like bowed in apology and taking ownership for that blame. But that wasn't the guy who made the mistake. So you expect, okay, well they ran him up the yard arm and you know hung him out in the wind. No, they turn around and say, what happened and why? Mm. These are getting so big that it's hard to test all of it in time to get it out to beat everybody else. What if we kept 90% of this up in the cloud and pulled down what we needed as things were doing research? And we created this concept of cloud security that made them just tiny little things. That means they weren't slowing down computers. They weren't slowing down processors. It was a much lighter footprint we went an evolution above our competitors for a while until they all adopted that methodology, like within years instead of days. That failure, they actually pr- promoted that guy to a better position because he took the ownership of the blame. I said, I failed. 
here's why mm. I failed. Here's what we can mm. grow from it. Mm. Mm. So, so would you would you say that it's reasonable to state that if your goal as a company is to differentiate, then you have to be audacious, right? It's like a. I think you absolutely yeah. have to. Yeah. I think maybe maybe in the old days that wasn't the case. You could just show up with a product and and that was fine. But I think you have to to yeah. be audacious today. And then you know to be audacious, you have to be willing to experiment, right? Well, that's really that's really what made us who we are. One of my mentors, the guy who really shaped my vision on my career, was a gentleman who was a um, immigrant from Egypt, and he started a company called Third Brigade that trend micro bot. It wound up being a reverse takeover because Third Brigade leadership basically ran North American Trend Micro for a number of years, <laughs> and maybe still is. He said one time at our sales kickoff that the North American mindset is unique to the world in our celebration of failure. Hmm. Like hmm. Thomas Edison failed 2,000 times trying to make a light bulb. Babe Ruth struck out more than anyone has ever struck out, but he held the home run record for years. You know, um, It takes failure to create success. Otherwise, it's just copying what other people have mm. done. Mm. Hmm. I think, uh, I mean, I think failure is actually a misnomer, right? It's a process of discovery. And I think it is, it's, you know, culturally, it boils down to culturally, you must embrace that. You must embrace the fact that there are two sides uh, to that, right? So failure to me, yeah, you're right. We we think of failure as this one bad thing, but really failure is temporary. (laughs) So success, don't forget, but failure is temporary. Really the true failure to me is not getting up that last time. Mm. So fall, you get up, you fall, you get up, you fall, you get up. Those falls aren't failure. The failure comes when you fail to, when you don't get up that last time. Mm -hmm. Agree 100%. That's what basically you think about dad strength. You know, dads are the ones changing the tire at two in the morning while the buff teenager is asleep in the back seat. <laughs> he may be strong, but he doesn't have to do it. Dad has to do it. Yeah. So let's talk about internally for us in, in our product development and our development cycles. Charles, this is your territory. What are some examples of how we apply these ideas? Well, you know, it's interesting. In the previous episode, we touched a little bit on how our filing offering came about, where mm-hmm. a customer had kind of talked to us about specific challenges they were encountering. And we kind of talked about how we're fundamentally collaborative and we like building cool stuff. And so we, we came <laughs> up with a, with a solution for this customer, right? And so right. That's, that's kind of really only one part to the story. There's this whole other part, which is how do we then know that other customers and prospects who are dealing with uh, probably variations, right, are the same type of problem, but the way it manifests for them could be radically different, right? So how do we know whether this product will appeal to them or not? And I always think one of the biggest mistakes that tech companies make is that they try and build products in a vacuum. They end up spending all of this time and effort and there's tons of debate and these things actually all turn out to be irrelevant because this thing you've made in a vacuum, you put it in front of the customers and the customers go, oh, that's not at all what we wanted. (laughs) I'm continually surprised how prevalent of a story that is in technology. So the process we've adopted in Cube is that as soon as we've got the basic outline, right, a basic level of kind of functionality and and, and viability 
to an implementation, then we'll start talking with customers that we think this could be useful for. And so, you know, in the case of Filink as an example, we'll go to them and say, look, you know, we've, we've got this thing and we want to show you these three parts to it. A, this is what it's able to do right now. B, these are the things we started looking at and started prototyping in the lab and we've kind of, you know, built them partially. So it, it can't do this stuff yet, but we know for sure that, that these things are possible right. if there's enough interest, right? right? And then, you know, see, there are all these other things we can be doing with us as well, but we, we haven't started down this course yet. And so we're, we're audacious here in communicating with our customers what is essentially a work in progress, right? Mm. And so the whole idea is if they see value in that, they can join the collaboration. So then one or two things happen, right? Some, some people's response is, you must be out of your minds, right? This is not done. This is not finished. We want to have nothing to do with it. And this is actually incredibly useful feedback to us because it tells us there isn't a fit. The pain point is not high enough for this actually to be a useful or, or, or important product. And so we've saved all of that time and internal debate you know, that tech companies have when they do things in a vacuum, right? So it's a great result. Or the other reaction might be, wow, this looks like a game changer. We need it yesterday, you know, even if it's not fully baked because it's already really helping to alleviate uh, a pain point. And so now we've found an equally audacious, intrepid customer. You know, somebody that's like, our people, we've validated uh, that the problem is important enough to work on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you've been working with Cube for a while, you, you, you know that's kind of wired into, into our, our DNA. And I mean, personally, I, I think this exact same logic applies to almost any kind of business, not just to technology businesses, right? So really, if your goal is to differentiate, to, to stand out, you have to be willing to be audacious. You have to be willing to be intrepid, be bold. And what we've experienced here and what we would put forward is you're going to have to foster a culture of experimentation and discovery. It's not about somebody sitting in a glass tower and saying, here's the direction we're going to go. This is mm -hmm. it. Experiment. Discover what works. No more your call is important to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to do... How many companies out there are willing to experiment with that? How many companies are willing to not sound like an on hold message? Mm, no, it, my God, I would I would pay very, money, frankly. I would pay money to know the exact number of times that phrase has been said or heard over the last twenty years. Yeah, is it more yeah. than the, the the national debt? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I want to propose a little game here because I mean our, our customers they range you know they run the gamut from all kinds of different businesses and trying to figure out how to use this medium of audio right to connect with their audiences and so you know let's play a little bit of a game around inspirational thinking to help unlock people how to apply this so I, I want to throw a challenge out there Imagine you're in the business of drywalling and you want people to hear your ad on Spotify or when they call you up on the phone and they're waiting on hold, you have this one shot to differentiate yourself from every other drywaller out there. How do you do this? I've got it. 
Go. Here at Bob's Brywall, and we have been in community service for 45 years. We are so grateful for our opportunity to serve our community, and we would love to have your business. Your call is important to us. We'll get to you as quickly as we can. <laughs> That's pretty pay standard. attention because our <laughs> options have recently changed. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, are you yeah. saying you think there might be a better way, Cheryl? Well, you know, I do. One of our really great friends took on this exact challenge, and I want to play for you what he came up with here. Now, now, you know, I must preface this by saying he is an expert in creative audio, and particularly applying these kinds of ideas of being audacious, etc. And so he has this whole suite of creative techniques. One of these techniques he calls making bad jingles, um, you know, by, by, by which he means things that are intentionally scrappy, right? Intentionally doesn't take itself too seriously. And, you know, he says something really interesting. He says, it's like there's a kind of magic that happens when style morphs from serious to satirical. You know, if you make a cheesy jingle, it's just plain lame. But if you make a satirical jingle that kind of embraces its badness, the result is fantastic. <laughs> and, and, and you get this, you know, this great musical memory recall with your listeners if you've thrown, thrown music into that. And it makes it fun and memorable. So take a listen to this. And now, the continuing adventures of Drywall Man. Who takes over after the framers before the painters begin? Who does the taping and also the modding so nary a crease is revealed? Plaster in his vein, gypsum in his brain. Thank you, Drywall Man! Thank you, Drywall Man! That's the A. Gypsum in his brain. <laughs> okay, that really is bad, but yet fantastic. I have to agree. Yeah, exactly. I would catch myself thinking about it after the fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And I unlike mean, EDS's hurting cats, I would remember what it was about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, tied right back to the actual company. Yeah, you're yeah. going to remember. Thank you, Drywall Man. Yeah, and if I mean, I think. If you're a drywaller, uh, I mean, you know, that's not going to appeal to everybody, right? But the people that it's going to appeal to are probably the people you want as your customers. You know, those are going to be the people that, that you enjoy working with, and they're going to get you as a person. They're yeah. going to understand the culture of your of your, your company. And, uh, I mean, I think there's no doubt this makes a connection, right? Here's what I say in advice is if that's going to be you and if you're going to be creative and audacious, own it. Own it all the way. Own it 100%. Don't just kind of dip your toe in the water of audacity and say, yeah, let's run this ad and kind of see what happens. No, jump in, you know, dive in, own it all. I think that's awesome what you just heard. And if that is interesting to you guys, we have great news. We're going to let you hear more of that. Yeah, totally. This was made by our great friend, Adam McGale, who's an expert in creative audio from Air Support Radio. And so we're going to have him join us on an upcoming episode where we'll discuss how brands and marketers can think about creativity and can apply these mm -hmm. ideas of being audacious in their audio to connect with their audiences. 
and how you as a creative marketer can find customers that are willing to be audacious and creative, or, or if you're in an existing organization, how you can get the, the necessary buy-in, right? That's going to be awesome because that really is what it comes down to is finding clients who are willing to do that and mm. being able to take them through that creative process. That's going to be great. Guys, that's it for today's episode. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Thanks for tuning in again. Keep those creative juices flowing. And we're going to leave you today with another one of Adam's audacious jingles. Cheers, everybody. Sit ba da ba beep beep a squeaky's car wash. zamba doo ba ba da squeaky's car wash. scrub a doopity wash the zoopily Shamagagoopily. Carnooba-do-axity. Wobbly-bobbly, splashing a polishy clean. Squeaky's car wash. We'll get your car all zappa doopy clean. Watch the dirt go right down the drain, just like your childhood dreams. Make it squeaky clean! That is tremendous. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Guys, it was good. Press (laughs) that stop button before you get too much aftertape roll. (laughs) 